Hey everybody, Anne here. I wanted to record a quick intro to this episode because in this episode we do cover some adult topics such as addictions that might not be suitable for little ears. So if you are listening with little people around, you might want to consider putting in headphones or listening at another time when little ears aren't present. This episode is a little heavier and it covers a very deep topic, but it is also very powerful and speaks a lot of hope to this topic as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Catholic Brides Podcast. My name is Anne and I would like to welcome you to my show. On this podcast, we will be talking about what it means to be a Catholic bride, how to prepare for marriage, and how to walk with your spouse towards heaven. I'm excited that you're here, and I invite you to grab your favorite drink, settle in, and let's have a heart-to-heart about what it means to be a Catholic bride in today's world. everybody and welcome back to the Catholic Brides podcast. Today I am joined by Jessica Twitty and she is a wife. Um, how long have you been married for now, Jessica? We just celebrated our two-year anniversary. Nice. So married for two years and she's coming on to talk about her journey as a Catholic wife. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thanks for having me, Anne. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I guess my story starts uh, way before I got married. Um, I'll be talking a little bit about addiction and how that plays a factor in um, your individual spiritual journey with God and also with um, your married life. So um, personally for me, I grew up in a um, God-loving home. Um, I can say that my parents did everything right. They did everything they could. Um, And then when I was around um, 13, that's when I first got an exposure to um, pornography. And there's different levels of pornography. And it came about, I think, because uh, I didn't feel um, like a fatherly love, even though my parents, you know, they protected me and educated me well. Um, there is still that desire for a woman to be desired and to be pursued and and to feel affection. And looking back now, I feel like in my teens, I didn't have that sense of um, affection enough from a father figure. So I think that's kind of where the root of it started. Uh, To make a long story short, in my teens, it was mostly just me watching videos and I didn't for a long time I really didn't think that it was an addiction I thought like oh this is like a guilty pleasure Um, but of course you know the sins are are devious and and they creep up on you Um, and then it got to a point where I knew in my gut that something was off and you know I went to reconciliation um, but it had become a habitual pattern and at that point when I knew that it was something I couldn't just not do that's when I knew like this is a problem like this is an addiction whatever you want to call it addiction or not like if it's something like I knew in my gut that something was was seriously wrong and so um 
I did what any kind of teenage person would do. I just, you know, tried to distract myself. So I immersed myself in a lot of other activities. I did a lot of extracurriculars. I was really involved with youth ministry. I never told anyone about it because especially at that time, you didn't hear about women struggling with pornography. And so I, I felt so ashamed at that time um, that I felt like it wasn't anything I could confide in except, you know, a priest and confession. And that was it. None of my family knew, none of my parents knew. Um, and then it went away. I, I, I didn't struggle with and I thought oh I, I fixed this cold turkey um, fast forward to my last year of college and out of nowhere it just kind of came back with a vengeance you know there's like an impulse that you feel and I knew that was wrong and believe it or not I was studying nursing and I really my life aspiration was to be Mother Teresa so like I wasn't a skewed person at all I had the most heartfelt intentions to serve God and um, even before this um, addiction came into play in my life, like I want, I was aspiring to be uh, a consecrated celibate. I wanted to be a Dominican sister. And so like I, I was full on, my heart was for the Lord. Um, and yet, you know, no one is immune. No one is immune to temptation and sin. And so in college, I, I was determined to really nip this in the bud because I thought like I thought I had solved it. And so I really believe God by God's grace. I wanted to look at this problem head first. Instead of hiding in my shame, I said, like, what's really the, what's the other side of this um, problem? Because I remember a priest during reconciliation was telling me, like, the problem, another problem out of the many problems with pornography addiction is it's a lie. Like, it's a fantasy. Like, it isn't real. You're not living in reality if you're in the middle of it. And I, you know, I'm here going, well, I want to live in reality. I don't want to live in a fantasy because that's not life. It's not real. And so I had come across a blog written by a woman, a very brave woman who shared memoirs of what it was like for her being in the pornography industry. And it was there that I saw the pain behind the visuals you know, I saw the reality behind the fantasy. And it was, there was so much hurt, there was so much pain, both on the, you know, on the people that are that were watching and, and I felt so much um, mercy and pity. And to make a long story short, I really think that was the key for me was, it wasn't just, oh, to avoid it. It wasn't just to have internet filters or any or an accountability buddy all of those are great but at the heart of it what really saved me was immersing myself in mercy that these are children of God these are daughters of God that are not to be used and in fact they're hurting you know how can I as at that time a nursing student think of anything that would cause pain to anyone that was the last thing I wanted to do and that was really what I think really drove me to, to recovery. And um, I think what really sealed the recovery for me, besides God's grace, um, this was around the time where Hugh Hefner had passed away. So it was all over the news. People were making, you know, jokes about, you know, what, what heaven for him would look like. And uh, at that time, I was a hospice nurse. So I work in end of life care for those who don't know what hospice is. And all I can think about was, looking at Hugh Hefner, and I wanted to be mad at him. I wanted to put all the blame of why, you know, 
all of these things were even socially acceptable. Like I, I wanted everything to, to just blame him and his existence for, for perpetuating my, my past hurts and my past addictions. But all I could think about was imagining him on his deathbed and looking upon him as if he was one of my patients, you know, completely helpless, you know, in his last few breaths. And I, and I'm sure every single time um, I remember with any of my hospice patients, they want heaven. They look back at their life and I'm sure they want salvation. I'm sure they feel so much remorse. And all I can, all I could remember was feeling mercy for, for Hugh Hefner, who I didn't even meet. I've known nothing about him except what has been made public, but it was, uh, it was mercy, mercy for him. And that um, all I wanted for him was to get to heaven. And I don't know if he is, but blame doesn't blame doesn't help anything in anyone neither the shame and I think a, a couple of years later that's what really gave me the courage to speak out about it and that's why you're hearing me and my story right now is shame is what feeds into the addiction any addiction is when it's hidden in the light but when but once you put it out in the light that's where really healing can happen and that's really the truest test that healing has happened is that you have no more shame about about what has happened because you know that that is not you anymore you have been made a new person so fast forward to my marriage um, when I met my husband he was also very devout Catholic he still is um, he had actually been discerning with the Franciscan Capuchins and so uh, I knew that his heart was also for the Lord and after about a couple of months of knowing each other, um, he told me very frankly, he said, you know, I have, I have a past and I want to be transparent with you. I want to be honest with you. I have a pornography addiction. And it's interesting to me because he didn't know about my past pornography. Um, and I think he probably expected to hear a certain response of like, oh, you know, that's gross, that's um, repulsive, I don't think I want to date you, but actually I said, I get it, man, I've been there, and it's not a deal breaker for me, because I know how hard it is to have been there, and um, when we were engaged, we were very um, prayerful, and about him getting the help, so for him, he really needed a bit more uh, resources, my method, um, of mercy uh, was uh, didn't work for him, and that's okay. It doesn't work for everyone. So he went to Sexaholics Anonymous, his twelve-step program where you can help people with um, addiction in um, in the sexual realm, and it has helped. When we got married, it wasn't completely gone, and it wasn't that he didn't try. Um, and I knew that. I knew that going in. To, to the marriage that it wasn't completely gone, but I know how hard he tried. And thanks be to God, like it isn't a problem anymore. Now, um, you know, here we are two years later, and I really think God's grace builds over time, especially for those who truly seek it. Right now, his um, current struggle is with um, cigarettes. So it, you know, it's no longer a um, sexual addiction, but it's um, a nicotine addiction. and um, for those familiar with the psychology realm, an addiction typically feeds into another addiction. So there's usually underlying processes still going on, and it's a spectrum for everyone. 
it's not the same. Um, and for me, having had studied in my nursing background, you know, mental health, um, I was aware of that walking in and I knew that that was a cross that I was willing to carry into my marriage. Uh, and it's not okay to continue it, but at the end of the day, my call and my role as a wife is to walk with my husband and to get him to heaven. And I'm not expecting myself to save him. I'm not his clinician. I'm not his nurse. And so I, I try to remember that I can't fix him. It's not up to me. It's between him and God. Um, but having had walk through addiction myself, I know for a fact that only God can really save you. Um, and, and that time, time, that timeline is completely unknown. It's, it's in, it, only God calls that time and all we can really do as a spouse is to do our best to be supportive of, of the spouse. And it's going to be heavy. It's, it's a heavy cross. Um, but you, you walk and you stick with it, you know, for better or for worse. That's what you signed up for. And I know that. And, um, but, but God's grace is enough. So I just wanted to make, if there's anything you get out of my story is that God's grace is enough and that no walk with God is going to be easy. Um, but the good news is it's nothing to be afraid of. That's beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, one question I kind of had for you was when you were walking through your spouse with this struggle, especially in the beginning parts of your marriage, I'm assuming it was, like you said, it was a difficult cross. Were there things that you were able to do together or separately that kind of helped you to walk through that? Yeah. So from the very beginning of our relationship, even before we got married, we were both open to couples counseling. He had been doing individual counseling way before we met. Um, and he was one who introduced me to the power of, you know, having a licensed mental health practitioner walking with you in your journey. And so having couples counseling to really kind of get through what were the stressors in our life? And yes, technically you can do that with friends and family, but they're always going to be biased. That's, that's really kind of the downside of confiding only with your friends and family is there will always be a bias and there, there may not be trained, even if they are trained health professionals, um, you can't help but have a bias. And so it really helps to have an objective third party um, to make it a safe space to to talk about difficult things without worrying about, oh, they're going to judge you um, because, you know, you're not being a good son-in-law or daughter-in-law or friend. So that was really helpful. I mean, of course, it, frequenting the sacraments, that has never left. Like we have always, you know, tried to pray together. Um, and I think another thing is also understanding the biological aspect of addiction. It's, uh, like I said, it's a spectrum. And a lot, not a lot of people know that. And I didn't know that until I went through it myself. It wasn't until I, I was married to somebody who had addiction is there's a lot of biological processes in the same way that somebody has, say, hypertension, high blood pressure. You know, there, there's physiological stuff going on that if it's not addressed or supported, makes recovery really, really hard people. For sure. So as far as it, go walking through it with your spouse, is there other things that you can do 
as as a wife because it, as you mentioned in your story you kind of overcame your um, pornography addiction prior to marriage but your husband still kind of struggled with it during your marriage um mm -hmm. so my question would be is there things or resources for women who might be have a husband that is struggling with pornography or whatever to go to because pornography is so isolating because it's not something that obviously we're talking about and so if you're a woman who has a husband that's struggling with it is there resources that you can use to be able to cope with that as well because there's things obviously that you need to process as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um what helped me it wasn't pornography specifically but i followed a facebook group for um spouses of people with addiction so it's essentially a support group for the spouses um not for the people with addiction it was their spouses and just hearing you know that i wasn't alone in in the struggle and you know people posting very in, encouraging inspiring quotes you know to to hang on and i think one in particular was like it was talking about what the difference between enabling versus uh, loving is and um essentially enabling looks like you are being you are um i'm trying to remember what it said but it's uh being directly involved with with killing somebody like inside like interiorly because you are allowing them to kill themselves <laughs> with their whatever substance whatever whether that's like spiritual death or interior death or you know emotional death um uh enabling somebody um to continue doing that is um not helpful so having boundaries like making it clear like hey this is um this is not okay but i still love you and we're going to keep through this together um that has really helped um so those support groups and also um i have individual therapy as well which i mean even though we have gone beyond um that struggle of pornography as a couple I still continue individual therapy because sometimes there's other stressors in my life that I want that I know my husband is not in a capacity to support because he's also struggling so um you know I have my own uh, therapist as well and it really keeps me level headed and um it's just like a nice maintenance thing kind of like a massage but for your mind for sure I think that's super a good thing to remember too and just because in our world and our society i think there's so much stigma around going and getting help um mm -hmm. but to like know that it is good and it's like going to the doctor like you don't there's no stigma around going to the doctor you still need to care for your mind as well and therapy can mm -hmm. be such a good um outlet and benefit in that regard mm -hmm. yeah and i think some people have the same benefits with a spiritual director which is great um as well but again also to be mindful that spiritual directors may not always have uh mental health training mm -hmm. and so i remember uh, part of i guess the wounds that we experienced was that um when we would go to reconciliation about this issue um there would be like judgment from certain people in the church it's like which was really wounding because you you go to them expecting help and you know give them the benefit of the doubt they don't know what they don't know and clearly they weren't trained in addiction counseling but um 
it, that's why it's also something to keep in mind is that the priests, as well-meaning as they are, don't always get mental health. I mean, I really think in an ideal world, priests should get it, you know, mental health mm-hmm. training, because that is a big part of what their, you know, flock goes to them for. They expect them, they expect guidance in that realm, but uh, they're not always equipped to. It's not as simple as, well, don't do it. And I think another thing that I've come to learn is um, I don't expect my spouse to get it right the first time. Like the the journey of addiction is, it's a chronic journey that sometimes is, we call it remission, where you're in remission, you know, for decades until the end of your life. Um, But you're never fully like gone, gone. I mean, I use the word healed. Um, But I don't know, there's no guarantee for me. I don't know what the future holds. So I like to say I've been in remission uh, for for decades now. And that's been a saving grace, but there's never a guarantee. I mean, the good news is that whatever word you want to use, whatever you want to label it, like God's grace is enough. And I think that's, that's really what I cling on to is that whatever struggle in your marriage, you know, God's grace really is enough. And if you want to make a relationship work, it'll work. Mm, For sure. So another question I had for you was for our young women who are just starting out on their journey with their their spouse, or in this case, um, for instance, if they're just engaged um, and they want to enter into that conversation about pornography with their fiance and they haven't actually like had that conversation yet, what would be a good way to bring that up? Because I know a lot of people can feel really overwhelmed by it and it's obviously a very very difficult and deep topic to talk about but one that really needs to be talked about before marriage um so what is your suggestion for people to be able to enter into that conversation with their fiance well I think um the way that my husband had approached it was perfect Uh, we were um it was a it was after a date um and usually where we go on dates, and this is just us, you don't have to do this, but this works for us, is we would go to a nearby Catholic church and um, just pray there for a little while before ending our date. That was kind of like our last stop before we said goodbye and parted ways. And so it was in a place that didn't have distraction. You know, it was a, it was a good day. So there wasn't any kind of like other, there wasn't any stressors around that time. Um, so I think he he made it a point to prep <laughs> me. I didn't know it, but it worked. You know, I was relaxed and I was open and I was in a very prayerful kind of mood. We just, you know, came out of uh, adoration. Um, and then he just sat me down very quietly in front of the um, a grotto of Our Lady. And then he says, you know, I, I want to tell you something because Uh, I believe that you deserve the truth and I want to be fully transparent with you. And I think that that is enough to kind of like be to, to connect with someone is just that having the authenticity to say, Hey, like, I really care about you. I care about you enough that I want to be fully transparent because you deserve the truth. And if that person is, you know, really loves you, they'll take it, you know, they will take it. Um, And you pray, you you pray for the right reaction. And um, like I said, this isn't just a man's issue. So for any woman out here who thinks like, oh, all the guys, what's wrong with these guys? Like, it's it's not just the guys. Like for it's it's a deep spiritual 
hunger for for intimacy and to be desired that isn't being fulfilled that's a huge part of it and so that often has to do with how they were raised their the backstory of backstory my, my husband's mother passed away when he was 11 so he didn't grow up with a mother for a long time growing up mm. and I'm sure that was a big part of it you know that was not his fault at all and so I would say, you know, have mercy. Remember, like, mercy is what saved me. Mercy is what saves everyone. And at the end of the day, mercy is the reason why we're all here, right? Mercy is the reason why we're all saved. And we get to live in, in God's grace. Mm, for sure. That's such a great reminder. If somebody is finding themselves in the struggle of pornography or any addiction for that matter, but specifically for pornography, what are some resources that they can turn to to get help or to learn more about the addiction in order to heal from it that way? Um, and what would you recommend? Mm-hmm. Um, I think first steps is to know that you are loved as you are and that it's not always your fault. And the second one, there are um, ministries now um, one called Fight the New Drug. I think it's not specifically a faith-based organization, but they talk about the dangers of pornography. Um, I definitely uh, recommend Sexaholics Anonymous. There are, um, and it's a 12-step anonymous that you can call in. um, So you never have to show your face, you never have to go in person, although there were in-person meetings or video meetings, but it's, um, it's a very safe space. Um, to just confide in other people who are struggling with it. It's completely free. Um, I also recommend going, uh, Googling blogs. There are more, there's a lot more blogs now about people who have either been in the pornography industry or have been victims of the pornography industry. I know for me, that was a big turning point was finding these stories of real people and really hearing the reality behind it. Um, Because again, you want to snap out of the fantasy. It's not real. It's real. It's not real. And sometimes people like the fantasy because it's a lot nicer than their reality. But I think like God gives us the grace to face our reality head on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's nothing to be afraid of. Like that's really like the good news. The gospel is like our life our life here on this side of heaven is nothing to be afraid of. It's going to hurt like hell sometimes, but it's <laughs> nothing to be afraid of. So there's no reason to, to fear. There's no reason to hide. There's no reason to escape to, to a fantasy because God wants us to engage with our life fully and, and do it with joy. It doesn't have to be drudgery all the time. And, and it's, it's really a lot easier when you, when you walk with the Lord in it. And so I also recommend staying with the sacraments. Um, there is Covenant Eyes. I think it's a, um, a filter program um, for your electronic devices. Um, however, um, not being exposed to the triggering substances is just one small part of it. You know, some people think like, oh, I'll just, you know, install a filter and then my problem will be. No, because the truest test is even if that temptation was in front of you, you won't desire it anymore. Like that is how you know that it's not a problem is that even if it's in front of you, you won't even find it attractive anymore. In fact, you'll find it repulsive. And and so not being exposed is just, you know, an early intervention. But at the end of the day, there has to be some kind of discovery as a lot of inner work. And I think that's where therapy really comes in and really like not being afraid to 
to do that inner work because some people are afraid that their pain is too much that they'll just explode or that their memories are just too painful that they'll just explode from the pain but you know like i think about jesus on the cross there is no pain that that jesus that god's grace can't handle you know it's it's nothing to be afraid of that's such a beautiful reminder that god's grace can overcome any struggle and especially the struggle of an addiction and he can help you to overcome it that's beautiful um another question i had for you as we're kind of wrapping up here it's not really related to this content that we've been talking about but it's something that i ask everybody that comes on is what is your favorite bible verse and why oh um there's so many um but the one that i I, I should have it memorized because it's, I consider it my favorite, but it's my favorite because it always pops into my mind whenever I'm asked this question. But it's, um, I think in Matthew, where it says, come to me, all you who are labor and burden, and I will give you rest, you know? Um, and, and to me, like marriage, some of your listeners may know, is hard work. It gets heavy, you know, it gets tiring. Um, and it was my father who, who told me that this was his favorite verse and that's you know what he clings on to as as a as a spiritual head of a family is a lot of pressure but for him um, he goes to god to cast his worries and and so he doesn't have to feel the pressure of having to have everything right having to have everything all together because you can't <laughs> like you can't like it does not exist um this perfection in marriage does not exist if it does it doesn't last very long and so it's really tiring to <laughs> to maintain that and so you just have to embrace that it's going to be a journey that gets messy but that you have god to cast your cares on him and he will give you rest at the end of the day sometimes all we need is just a good deep rest and then we're able to feel refreshed to take on whatever challenges come forward for sure well thank you so much for coming on this show today jessica this has been a pleasure um if people want you to find you on the internet or get in touch with you how can they best do that yeah if there's any women here who are struggling personally with pornography or have um, a significant other who is struggling with pornography and they just want somebody to talk to um, i have a personal blog on instagram it's called mother my body mother dot my dot body, um, and you can find me there. Just message me. I'm always happy to talk. And remember that you're not alone. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today, Jessica. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Anne, and God bless you and your listeners. Yeah, and thank you everybody for tuning in. And I will see you again on the next episode. God bless you. listening to the Catholic Brides podcast. If you enjoyed this content, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast. If you would like to get in touch with me, I invite you to either message me on Instagram or send me an email at catholicbrides at gmail.com. I look forward to having you join me again, and I look forward to connecting with you in the future. Thank you so much and have a wonderful and blessed day.